It's good to be with you this weekend. Uh, if I've never met you, my name's Dan, and I happen to be one of the pastors here at the Norton campus, and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you. I'm glad you decided to engage with us on this online experience. Um, as you've heard, we're going to begin regathering next weekend. So June the 14th, we're going to begin regathering. We're going to have three drive-in experiences, 8, 10.30, and 5.30. 8 o'clock will be a traditional drive-in experience, and then 10.30 and 5.30 contemporary. Look forward to seeing many of you at that. Uh, it'll be a good time together. That'll be the 14th and then also the 21st. And then the 28th will begin gathering in the building in modified fashion. So look forward to seeing many of you. Many of you uh, are thinking to yourself, I can't, don't feel comfortable coming. We're going to continue this experience through the duration. Just so you know that, we're going to keep coming into your living room or wherever you're watching us, and uh, hopefully you can enjoy this online experience uh, that way. Uh, today, this weekend, I, uh, I just need to tell you that I need to have just a serious conversation with you. Not a lot of funny today. Uh, and the reason I need to have a serious conversation with you is my heart aches. My heart aches for a lot of reasons. Uh, my heart aches for the obvious. There's a family who has lost a loved one. There's a little six-year-old girl in, uh, she's lost her father. Gianna, I think, is her name. Uh, there's a whole group of people for whom a deep wound just seems to keep getting reopened over and over and over and over again. Maybe it never closed. Uh, beyond that, I know there's uh, business owners that are struggling because they kind of got in the way of some people who looted their businesses. Uh, I also, my heart aches because there's some, there's, there's some good, um, selfless, sacrificial police officers who today are being painted with a, a broad brush. I want to, and we must have a serious, direct, and I think heart-searching conversation uh, we must run headfirst into this. I want to run headfirst into this conversation, even at the risk of being misunderstood. I got to be honest with you. There's parts of it I feel like like a no-win situation. But to be perfectly honest, we cannot avoid having this conversation. We have become, as a culture and a society, so proud and so polarized, it feels like nobody's listening to anybody anymore. Nobody's trusting anybody. Everybody has stopped talking and we started trashing. And so I'm going to ask your permission. I'm going to ask, would you please hear me this weekend? Would you please hear me, not because I'm perfect, because Lord knows I'm not. I'm asking, would you hear me, not because I'm an expert on what I'm going to talk about, because I'm quite frankly not. I'm going to ask you to listen, not because I've got all this figured out, because I, quite frankly, I do not. But all I'm going to ask is, will you please hear me as simply a pastor who feels compelled to simply share with you God's word as we run into this. I want to do my best to make Jesus make sense in a culture where quite frankly, it feels like hardly anything makes sense right now, let alone Jesus. And in a culture where too often, too often, if we're honest, the church has only confused this Jesus that we desire to make sense. I, in having this conversation with you, am fascinated by the fact that we do not need to veer one bit from our conversation in 1 Peter. 
And that's incredible to me. It's ironic, I would say it's providential, that God ordained us to be at the part of 1 Peter that we're at this weekend. It's a bit spine-tingling, if you ask me. See, the passage we're in would be a lot easier to avoid. The passage we're in is a passage that sometimes is read with a yeah, but. You know what a yeah, but is? You can read the passage and say, yeah, but. There's exceptions. And what I want to do this weekend is I want to go headfirst into this passage. I don't want to avoid it. And I want to go into it with no yebbets. And I simply want to invite God to take us on this journey together. But I feel compelled before we kind of dive into this conversation together, if that we could just take a moment and pray together. So would you pray with me wherever you're watching this? Would you just pray, God, I pray for this conversation that Jesus would make sense. I pray for our country that you would bring hope and healing that only the gospel can bring. I pray for our campus that we would engage anew with very relevant conversation that seems to be going on and needs to happen in our campus, in our churches. God, help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter is all about living hope while living here. And here's what we said. Get us caught up. We said that this living hope that we can have as a gift from a God who's merciful gives us a fresh start, born again, gives us a secure future. Heaven's our home. We have an inheritance, but it gives us a brand new identity. We've been talking about that, and last week we said this, catch us up to speed, that Peter wanted us to know that we are temporary residents. He says you cannot forget who you are because if you forget who you are, you're going to not know what to do. I'm convinced a lot of people have forgotten who they are. A lot of Christ followers have forgotten who they are. And so therefore, because they've forgotten or ignored who they are, they've forgotten or don't know what to do. Peter said, here we are temporary residents, which sets him up for where he wants to go today. If you have your Bible, you might want to get there. 1 Peter 2, we're going to show it on the screen. Here's what Peter says. Here's the chunk we're going to look at today. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that in this passage, there, there is a key verse that I think highlights what he wants us to get today. In the middle of this, in verse 15, I want you to know this. This is the umbrella for everything he's saying. He's saying it's God's will. You ever want to know what God's will for your life is? Here's, here's God's will. It's God's will that by doing good, you silence, literally you muzzle is the word, the ignorant talk, naive, uninformed talk, of foolish people. Here's what he's saying. Peter's saying this, that the way you silence 
uninformed talk of people who don't know is not by fighting fire with fire, but it's by your good deeds, by your good life. He's saying of all people, that is what should come out of your life. Why? Because Peter's already told us this, that if you're a Christ follower, you, the gospel means this, you have tasted that God is good. And because you've tasted it, you continue to feed on the goodness of God. That's how you grow up in Jesus. And so what he says is this, that you've tasted it, you're feeding on it, and that's what spills out of your life. He is simply saying this, this is not some Johnny be good kind of goodness. Just be good. But he's saying that this gospel goodness that we've tasted, that we're growing up in, kind of shows up in our life. And he's saying that's how you silence in a culture that, that literally is like, what in the world's going on? That's how you silence uninformed talk of foolish men. That's what he's saying. Well, how in the world does he encourage us to be living lives that are exhibiting this gospel goodness in the middle of our culture? What does that look like? How does that happen? This passage tells us how that happens. And we're going to take them, not in the order they come, but we're going to actually take them in an order that seems more appropriate for our time right now. The very first thing Peter says is this. He says, I want you to silence the uninformed talk of foolish men by showing proper respect to everyone. Now, you can forget this, but this word respect, the Greek word where we get that word respect is show the proper value is what, it's, what literally it means. It's a word that says give the proper value to something. What Peter's saying, he says show proper respect to those not who are like you. Show proper respect not to those who can do something for you. Show proper respect not to those who are in your group. He says show proper respect or value to everyone. He's saying, I want you to silence the foolish, the ignorant talk of foolish men by showing proper respect. What's he saying? He's saying this. I want you to write this down. He's saying, the way we're going to silence their ignorant talk is we will celebrate, as followers of Christ, celebrate the value of every human being and declare and demonstrate, you ready? That racism is wrong. How appropriate for our conversation today. Period, full stop. That's what Peter's saying. Peter simply wants us to know we don't even need to mince words. We don't need to soft pedal this conversation. Racism is sin. Racism is a situational sin. Acts of racism are situational sin. And racism is a system, systemic sin that is in our culture. It's something that has organizational roots. It is both individual and it is corporate. Racism is not a political issue. Somebody I was talking to here leading up to this week said, you're going to talk about racism? I didn't think you liked talking about politics. Listen to me. Racism is not a political issue. Racism is a moral, spiritual issue. And Peter wants us to know that. And as Peter's talking, he's talking to followers of Christ. So if you're somebody who hasn't trusted Christ, right, he's talking to people who said, we've said yes to Jesus. He said, here's how you silence uninformed talk. 
by living good lives. And the way you do that is you celebrate the value of every human being and you declare and your life demonstrates racism is wrong. Racism is real and racism is rampant. Now, if you're watching this and you might be watching this and you're a person of color and I'm so glad you are, you might be like, yes, you might be watching this though and, and you are a white person like me and you might be like, well, is it really that real? You might be thinking that and I want to tell you it is. It's real and it's rampant. This became very personal to me when I was going through seminary. Before I was married, for two years, uh, I had the distinct privilege of being the legal guardian for a young black man from the inner city of Chicago. His name was DeAndre. I love DeAndre. DeAndre was in my wedding, and uh, you see him pictured here with my other groomsmen. DeAndre and I would spend all kinds of time together. We would play basketball, it felt like, every Saturday afternoon together. And DeAndre and I grew really, really close. Uh, I was literally taking care of him in, a, uh, in Winona Lake, Indiana, which at that time was predominantly white. Predominantly white. And so DeAndre and I would go places together, and I had an incident with DeAndre that helped me realize that things look a little different through his lens. I took him to the Dairy Queen. We had played basketball. I was with him the whole time. We walked into the Dairy Queen. He got out of my car. We went in. We got our food. We sat down to eat. He was the only black person in the restaurant. That was very obvious to me. I noticed as people were watching us. But it became very real to me. It became very real to me when later that week I received a letter from an attorney's office. And the letter that I received from the attorney's office was written on behalf of somebody that was in that restaurant accusing my friend DeAndre of damaging their car door while we were at the Dairy Queen. They accused him of damaging their door with my car door. DeAndre was with me the whole time. My car door had no damage. He was the only black person in the restaurant. I fought it to the nth degree, and I ended up having to pay the bill. I just need you to know this, that wherever you're at, whatever your experience, that racism is real. Racism is rampant, and those who've tasted the goodness of God in salvation and have submitted their life to the authority of Jesus know a couple things. First, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, you know that racism is an affront to the creative beauty and design of God who made every man in his image. The value of every human being alive is rooted in creation. Every human being alive is made in the image of God. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, able-bodied, disabled, made in the image of God every person in the image of God. That's why James, in his letter, he was the half-brother of Jesus, that's why James said, when you talk disparagingly about another person, you might praise God, but when you talk disparagingly about another person, slander another person, 
He's saying it's inconsistent because you're talking about somebody who is made in the likeness of God, in the image of God. Listen close. Every time, lean in, you tell a joke and you have to start by, now listen, I'm not racist. And then you tell a joke. You contribute to the problem. Every time you generalize a population and stereotypically talk about them, well, you know how Hispanics are. Well, you know how you contribute to the problem. Every time you ignore this reality or rationalize it away, you contribute to the systemic problem of racism. You add to the problem. This is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. was saying, that the value of every man is found because we've been made in the image of God. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, you see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible, the whole concept of the Imago Dei, image of God, as it's expressed in Latin, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. And he says, not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. It's an affront to the creative design of God, but that's not all it is. I want you to write this down somewhere that racism runs contrary to the very message of the cross. If you're a follower of Christ, that message is near and dear to you. And the message of the cross is this. Think about it this way. The cross, the cross on which Jesus died. The very message of the cross is that in Christ, God knocked down the barrier between us and him. That's why we can have what's called reconciliation with God. That the cross of Christ literally crashed that barrier. But listen close. The cross did not just crash the vertical barrier between God and I, but the cross, the cross crashed horizontal barriers. The cross is the very thing that crashes the barriers of pride and prejudice between us. You cannot have vertical reconciliation with God without pursuing horizontal reconciliation with mankind. They are incompatible to say, I have one without the other. Ephesians 2 says that when Jesus died, he broke down the walls that divide us. 1 John says it this way, 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Is a liar. You see, the very gospel the message of the cross is the very thing that changes us. It motivates us to consider others above ourselves. Consider Philippians chapter 2. It says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Look at this, be humble. 
thinking of others as better than yourselves. That is the very antithesis, the antithesis of racism. Racism is thinking of your race as higher than another. Don't look only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We apply that amongst ourselves in different ways, right? In your marriage, and you ought to. Apply it in your relationships, you ought to. But what would it mean for me to think of others from another race more than me? Wow. That is the very contradiction to racism. And the gospel is what clears the way. The gospel is the very thing that is the solution. You might be sitting there and say, okay, Dan, I got it. What's the solution? Can I tell you what's not the solution? The solution is not aimless activism, but it certainly isn't passive piety. Those are not solutions. Now is not the time to simply react. We must respond. And our response needs to be a gospel-centered response. Can I give you four things to consider? Four things. I want you to write them down. Four things. First, we must admit the racism inside of us. We got to start there. Don't try to fix a problem out here until I fix the problem in here. I think the place for us to start is to ask God to root out pride, prejudice, even naivety that might be in us to reveal any hint of racism, any racial baggage inside of me. And then when he shows me, it's to repent of it. It's not just say, wow, that was in there. It's to repent of it. Can I tell you, chances are you have racial baggage. That if you ask God to do this, he will probably reveal something. And when he does, the response is to acknowledge it by repenting of it. David prayed this way, God, show me if there's offensive ways inside of me. The second thing I would suggest is this. We got to acknowledge the racism around us. We cannot bury our head in the sand. But it's simply, we, we have to realize that there is a systemic problem around us. It happens. It's not just isolated events. But it is systemic in our culture. And we as a church and as followers of Christ cannot pretend, pretend that it's not there. Which leads to the third thing, we got to ask God for help. I would ask you to be active in interceding on behalf of our country, our campus, for healing and hope. I've asked you before, set your alarms for 2.20 p.m. And I'm going to ask you to do that again and keep doing it. And I'm going to ask you to add to what you're praying for, that God would show us the racism inside of us, that he would help us to see the racism around us, and that he would help us as we move into it, not reactively, but with a gospel-centered response. Which leads to the fourth thing I would say, and that's this. We must act on the gospel we say we believe. James said this, if I have faith and I don't have action, my faith is a dead faith. That's what he says. It's not enough to have passive piety. I'm a God-fearing Christian. That's what James is saying. He's saying, faith that doesn't move is 
dead, worthless. I would suggest it's not really faith. It's not really faith. I'm, re- I'm not really God-fearing at that point. You see, what God says is if I'm a follower of Christ, I am literally an ambassador of reconciliation. Well, how can I begin to act? Can I give you several suggestions? I would just say this, take a step, make a move. Take some step. You say, what are some steps? Well, begin a conversation with somebody from a different race. Just begin a conversation. Uh, I, I would say, somebody gave me this quote this week, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Just start with one. This week, just so you know, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. This week, I have a meeting with a young black pastor in the middle of Akron. I reached out to him and said, can we meet? Can we talk? Why? I just want to get to know him. I want to ask him questions. I want to understand where he's coming from. We have a group that meets here of women. They reached out to me and said, you know what we'd like to do is we'd like to build a relationship with a group from another church, from another race. Man, I love that. Just begin a conversation. And when you begin that conversation, take James's words to heart. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Be slow to speak. I'm going to do a lot of listening this week when my new friend comes to see me. I would say this, educate yourself. We're going to make some resources available, and they're just a few, and we'll add to them. As we, but, but educate yourself. Get the head out of the sand. Educate yourself on the racism that's around us. Prayerfully advocate. I, you know, be involved. Call your congressman. Let them know this is not something that we're okay with. It's not enough for us to simply react. We have to repent, respond. Which is interesting because. Peter went on to say this. He says, love the family of believers. Why did he say that? Because the family of believers is this unique, unique body of people that radically are defined by love, willing to walk through prejudice, willing to embrace the gospel in a way that helps them break through barriers. We're a unique family. And here's the deal. We are a unique family that gives the world a picture of God's heart. You see, racism is an affront to God's creative design. Listen close. It is contrary to the very message of the gospel, but I want you to write this down. Racism is erased in heaven. (laughs) It's erased in heaven. If you're someone who wants to excuse or embrace racism you ain't going to like heaven very much because the picture is beautiful. Revelation 7 says this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people in language standing in, in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I love that picture. All Peter is saying is this, is that we as followers of Christ get to give an imperfect, albeit, picture of what God's plan and picture happens to be. And he says this, you want to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men, he said, do it by your good lives, that celebrates the value of every human being 
and declares and demonstrates that racism is wrong. I pray that we as a church, I pray that I as a leader, that my team as leaders will take the lead in that and begin not reacting, not re- but repenting, humbly repenting. Those of you who may be watching this, that maybe you're a person of color watching this, black, Hispanic, Asian, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for too often the way that we've avoided and ignored what is happening. And now is the time for us to repent and then to respond. It would be easy today if that's all Peter said. It's not. He says, I want you to silence them. And he says back in 1 Peter... One of the ways that you do that is submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying we're going to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men with our good lives, and that means we will recognize and respond to authority for our Lord's sake. He's saying when the gospel takes root in my life, it shows up in the way I respond to authority. He says in the way I respond to every authority, parents, teachers, coaches, bosses. Listen close. An anti-authority Christ follower is a fallacy. An anti-authority Christ follower is a fallacy. It's a fallacy by virtue of the very fact that when I said yes to Jesus, I placed myself under his authority. Guys, listen. I meet people all the time, and this is what the Christ followers, they'll say this to me. You know something? I'm just not really an authority kind of guy, right? I I have a problem with authority. Listen close. If you're a Christ follower, you don't have a problem with authority as much as you have a problem with the lordship of Jesus in your life. That's really what it boils down to. He says, for the Lord's sake, recognize and respond to every human authority. He says we make sense, Jesus makes sense by the way we respond to authority. Peter goes on and he says, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, then he gives us an illustration. He says, I want you to to respond to the government authorities. And like you read this, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're like, well, Peter must have lived in a utopian he didn't. Remember who's in charge? Nero. Nero was not part of the Christian coalition. You see, what Peter's saying is he's simply saying that gospel goodness shows up in being good citizens who recognize and respond to authority. There is no place for a Christian anarchist movement. You cannot consistently blend that with what God says in his word. And he says, I want you to respond to human authorities. Listen close. Not for your political party's sake, but for your Lord's sake. Can I talk really frankly to some of you that are watching this? And I bet some of you this will make you feel uncomfortable. And, and I'm okay with that. Some Christ followers are more committed 
to their political party and their political agenda than they are to following their king, who's Jesus. Some Christians or Christ followers know more about the opinions of their favorite news show than they know about the heart of the one they follow, King Jesus. We, we are more polarized than ever as a society. And even Christ followers, if our guy gets elected, we're good. But if our guy does not get elected, we feel this freedom to begin trashing that guy. We feel the freedom to begin sarcastically talking about that guy. I would write this down somewhere. It's okay to tear apart policy, but never a person. It's okay to have difficulty with the policy of a particular political leader, to tear it apart, to think critically. In fact, I would encourage you to think critically. I worry that a part of our culture has stopped thinking. And it's okay to tear apart a policy, but never a person. Many Christ followers that, that I have talked to that are very politically active, they're all about honoring and respecting political leaders who claim to be a Christian. But those who don't, they feel this freedom to sarcastically tear apart. That is not what Peter says. And when we do that, we don't silence ignorant talk. We fuel fire and we do not make Jesus make sense. We confuse our culture. We are different. We are temporary residents who recognize and respond to authority because we have an ultimate authority and that's King Jesus. Here's the point of the program where you're like, yeah, but, right? Yeah, but Dan, is that just a blanket statement? Aren't there exceptions? Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. He says, these governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. These governors and leaders are to execute justice and promote goodness. It begs the question, what happens when there's injustice? Listen to me, lean in. Christ followers must take the mantle of justice into the face of injustice. Let me show you a passage. Micah, Old Testament, Micah 6. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To what? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I would write this down somewhere on your notes. We stand up for justice. Key. But never with injustice. We stand up for justice. We never do it with injustice. Book of Proverbs chapter 31 says it this way. It says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor, the helpless, and see that they get justice. Followers of Christ are called to be a voice for the marginalized, the victimized, and the vulnerable. We speak up for justice. There's a caveat here. We got to be careful. We must be careful characterizing all by the actions of the few. Can I just talk frankly here? 
in the middle of our present climate. We have to be careful characterizing all protesters with the actions of a few looters. You ready? We have to be careful characterizing all policemen by the actions of a few bad police officers. I remember a good friend of mine that was a police officer back in the, the 90s. He wasn't a follower of Christ at that time. And I would lift in weights with him. And during that time, there were several news stories about preachers who were caught in adulterous affairs. And it was all over the news. And I'm lifting weights with him. And he was kind of, you know, being a little sarcastic about what I did for a living. And he looked at me and he said, Hey, preacher, how do you feel about these preachers? And I thought for a minute, and I thought, what's a good response? And I looked him square in the eye and I said, I probably feel the same way you do as a good police officer about police officers who go bad. He looked at me and he said, it makes sense. You see, the fact of the matter is we've got to be careful right now of kind of just blanket statements. Are there exceptions to this responding and submitting to human authority? Are there exceptions? Well, I think Peter says something. He says, fear God. You notice he doesn't use the same word, honor the emperor. By the way, the emperor at that time wanted to make himself out to be God. But what he says is, you worship God, you choose God, honor the emperor. What's he saying? Here's a long statement. We're going to leave it up here for a minute for you to write down. When my government violates a direct command of God, that forces me to choose between allegiance to God and submitting to my government, I choose God. There it is. I choose God. I worship God. There's examples of this in Scripture. Exodus 1, the Hebrew midwives. You can read it, right? You can go to the book of Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Cool names, right? You can read it. You can go to the book of Acts chapter 5, the apostles. You can read it. When my government makes me choose and, and directly is violating a direct command of God and I have to choose, I always choose God. Peter says this. This is what he's saying. Followers of Jesus who are grow, growing up in the goodness of God silence the ignorant talk of foolish men by living these good lives that exhibit the gospel. And we do it by valuing every human Declaring and demonstrating racism is wrong. We do it by responding and recognizing authority, right? And then he says something else. Back to 1 Peter. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now listen, I, I, I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but I think I need to stop here for a minute. He's saying you're free, and we're, you know we, we love that, right? Freedom, right? We love being free. But what's he saying? I want you to write it down this way. I think it's what he's saying. We will use our freedom to serve God by serving others and not simply to demand our rights. We're free to serve. That's what he's saying. We're not free to simply do whatever we want. He's saying live as free people. Don't live and use your freedom to do whatever you want. He's inferring the direct opposite. Let me just talk to you for a minute and then, then I'm going to close. With everything going on, we almost forgot there's a pandemic going on, didn't we? 
And that's why we've begun putting together these plans to regather, and I really look forward to seeing you next weekend. But during this pandemic, I have been concerned at the amount of church stories that I've seen pop up on my different news feeds during this pandemic. I would say probably three to one. The stories that have popped up on my news feeds, the majority have been of pastors and churches who in direct opposition to the authorities' recommendation, demanding their rights in a way that I think, quite frankly, misses the spirit of Jesus. Ugly arrogance and snarkiness in the name of religious freedom that looks nothing like the freedom Peter's talking about. That looked nothing like the spirit of Jesus, the one that we follow. On the other hand, I've seen a handful of stories of churches who've sponsored food pantries in the middle of this time, who have taken food to the sick, who've helped frontline workers, who've prayed for people who have lost their jobs. We were asked to stop gathering. We were asked to stop gathering for a time out of concern for the well-being of others. We, I, was never asked to stop preaching the gospel. You see, here's what I believe. This is a little statement you ought to write down. When we demand our rights instead of serving people's needs, we will lose our influence. I am afraid that many churches will lose their influence because they're seen as demanding their rights. God gave the church to the world. And no one has, no one, has stopped us from caring for people who need cared for, praying for people who need prayed for, serving people who have needs. No one has stopped us. Guys, listen to me. What Peter is saying is this. Stop fueling the fire. Silence the ignorant talk of foolish men with your good gospel goodness lives. Gospel goodness lives that see the value in every human being and is willing to declare and demonstrate racism's wrong. Gospel goodness lives that is willing to recognize and respond to human authority because I'm responding to the ultimate authority in my life, King Jesus. Gospel goodness lives that when we see injustice, we're willing to speak up for the marginalized, the victimized, and the vulnerable never in unjust ways. Gospel goodness lives that prefer each other and that will leverage our freedom not to demand our rights but to serve other people's needs. Peter says, love the brotherhood. Why does he say that? Because the church, those who call themselves followers of Christ, we are different. We here at Grace Church are different. If we are followers of Christ, we value every human being. We will declare and demonstrate racism is wrong. I am sorry we've not done more to date. I am sorry, and I will say to you as your leader, I'm sorry that we've not done more to date. Not only that, but we will submit to each other. We will prefer each other. There is no us in them. When we regather, guys, 
There is no mask, no mask group. <laughs> there is no us and them. There is n- no way we're going to regather without simply demonstrating the spirit of Jesus, preferring each other. We're not trying to make a point. We're trying to make a difference. We're trying to make a difference. Why? We're temporary residents. When you forget who you are, you'll forget what to do. You know what happens? When followers of Christ begin doing that, they give this world where it feels like nothing makes sense a little bit of a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And they begin to make Jesus make sense in a world that desperately is looking for hope and help. And Peter says, when that happens, you silence their ignorant talk. You know what happens when that silences? They start to ask questions. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, when they ask you about that hope that shows up in your life these ways, be ready to give them an answer. Be ready to make Jesus make sense. And that's my prayer in this time when my heart aches. So God, take your word and I pray that you would weave it into our hearts. Don't let us hear this and simply walk away the same. Right now, I pray that you would inspect my heart and my friend's heart. Show me the offensive way that might be in me. And I pray I would repent and respond so that I could lead us, lead my family, lead my team, even lead this church to a response that demonstrates and declares good news of Jesus in a way that he makes sense. Our country's hurting. Father, forgive us for any part we've contributed by what we've done or not done. God, I pray, I pray that you would help us as free people. Free not just because we live in this country. Free because Jesus has freed us from slavery to our sinful, selfish selves. That you'd help us to live as free people, serving you by serving others. And God, I look forward to how you will take what seems messy and make something beautiful as people respond and submit to your leadership in their life. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.